0: internet. Keep up with the plot. My name is Matthew Kroll.
1: There's a plot? My name is Shahir Dowd.
0: And this is the only podcast about Movies, specifically the film "The Man Who Killed Don Quixote." Now, hands up, how many people actually went
1: out and saw this? You in uh, the wait, front? I'm trying to you see. see yeah. Okay, we
0: got ma- uh, th- uh, four. four. Actually, I gotta say, my because th- uh, we went together, our theater was surprisingly packed. Uh, that is true, <laughs> um, and and good on that. It was. Um, we 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 talked about this before. So if you haven't seen, we'll write about this up in the. I'm sure in <laughs> the in the words that you write for the episode <laughs> you hear, but you know this might be one that you can listen to even if you're not going to see the. The film so the thing was I purposely
1: uh, picked a film that was screening one night only uh, as part of a fathom event uh, and that is the man who killed Don Quixote by Terry Gilliam which is a film that has been 30 years in the making and for some reason is only screening at one night yeah one if,
0: night at seven or 730 Terry Gilliam had his interview that you, st- you <laughs> said to me the link couldn't remember
1: <laughs> yeah April 10th <laughs> um, now the uh, he had he did announce on that interview uh, uh, that it was part of the build series um, in New York, you can look them up at buildseriesnyc.com, I believe is the website. Um, but he did say that they w- they are planning a uh, theatrical run uh, coupled with a VOD uh, shortly after, but he didn't say when. So the chances of you seeing this film are pretty high. I mean, it's going to go onto a streaming service, no question. Well, here's the thing about this movie. Um, You've seen Lost in La Mancha, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Lost in La Mancha is a film that I would play to students when I was teaching film school. This is one that you saw at film school. I did see it in film school, yeah. Uh, It is one of the most harrowing unmakings of a movie I think I've ever seen. (laughs) I rewatched it recently, and my blood pressure went up as I was watching it. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, there is, like, uh, you can find it on a couple of uh, the streaming services um, for rental, and I think there's a couple of pirated copies floating around <gasps> on uh, uh, one of those uh, streaming sites. Um, but it is a, uh, a documentation of the last attempt. Well, actually, no, it wasn't the last attempt, but, but the 2002 attempt yes. to get the man from Don Quixote, uh, the man who killed Don Quixote, uh, up off the ground with uh, starring Johnny Depp and uh, Jean Rochefort as Don Quixote. Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, it is horrific. It is It is my mind- version of a horror movie which is that uh, basically this film had four days of production, and I think on the second day is probably one of the most horrific thing, things I've ever seen. God said, nah, bro. Yeah, I know. Like, the heavens opened up and washed away the the entire film, um, which is pretty extraordinary to watch. Um, if you can check that out, I think, I think that is a fascinating companion piece to this film. Yeah. Um, so, again, this is a film that, even prior to 2002, Terry Gilliam had been trying to make for, I think,
0: since 1989. So... Okay. okay, let's talk about this whole thing now. Okay. The, the, the Man from La Mancha, I, I, the documentary is—you're right, absolutely—lost in La Mancha. Oh, lost in La Mancha is yeah. harrowing. So yeah. many names in these different movies; we're not going to keep track of them. Um, but how do you work on a thing for thirty years? Like, I'm sure, like it might happen for any of us, but yeah. like—and he's made other films in oh, between. Of course. Of, uh, it's not like—I mean, he wouldn't be a, a yeah. well-known filmmaker if he wasn't making films between this thing. Yeah. It's just the concept is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's...
1: I think it'll come into play in our discussion of the film itself sure, because sure, sure, sure. it's. I think those thirty years show up in the film right. in, in in many ways. Right, right, right. Uh, but but uh, coming back uh, to that, I think I, I just again, watch Lost in La Mancha if you're at all interested in filmmaking and the process of filmmaking and how painful
0: it can be. Even if <laughs> I, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you weren't interested in filmmaking, but even if you aren't interested <laughs> in filmmaking and you really dug like the Firefest docs, yeah. like oh, watch I... watch. This. This
1: That's right. Did you say call it the firefest of filmmaking?
0: Uh, yeah. No, no uh, I believe uh, Jamie did. Jamie it. Right, right, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Uh, which I think is uh, perfectly apt. So if you've seen Fire fist and you want more of that sweet, sweet, terrible, <laughs> terrible planning. Do you want to see humans really, really stressed out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, check out Lost in La Mancha. Um, we got a lot of emails this week that I just wanted to go over uh, yeah. lo- covering a lot of different topics. So thank you very much for emailing us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter or even Facebook as we got we- we got we got
0: all all the social medias covered. We got MySpace. We got <laughs> Friendster. We got Google Plus. MySpace deleted all our music, so what are uh, we gonna do? Yeah, no, I
1: don't know. I okay, I will say this. I actually had a phone call with a listener this week. Like one you didn't know? One that I didn't know. How the how the <laughs> hell did that happen? It's one it's a person you know. Okay. Um, this is this is kind of an elaborate story. But no, but I, I it was a it was a Facebook phone call and they wanted to discuss What's them. a Facebook phone call? Uh, you call oh, like face- like a video yeah. chat? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so it's a video chat.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> a no, it wasn't, it wasn't a Facebook phone call. Well no, there call. was no video chat. We didn't video.
0: Okay. We just we just did an audio chat. Yeah, okay, okay, okay,
1: who was it? Uh, James. Uh, I don't want to say his last name on on air. Oh,
0: okay. Oh, I, okay. I got you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who who went out and saw the man who killed Don Quixote uh, on oh. the basis of our recommendation and was just like, I need to talk to someone about this. And I, I, uh, yeah, like it, you know, it is it is. <laughs> what up, James? Yeah. It, no, it, but it, but I took the uh, you know I said I we would call because because uh, you knew him and I was uh, happy that he had gone to see the movie and it was actually really fun to discuss the film uh, with someone else. We had a really long conversation. It was almost like I did the podcast before doing the podcast, oh, wow. and he had a lot of great insights, and I was just really thrilled that he um, took the time to actually go see something that we had recommended uh, and really enjoyed it and wanted to talk about it so much. So uh, thank you so much for calling in, James. So that, that's not a usual occurrence, but, no. it, but it happened.
0: But if you want to find Shahir on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. apparently, uh, that's that's totally...
1: I think I've opened the floodgates here. Um, but uh, we also got a tweet from Caesar uh,
0: at Baby Dread. I believe that's the the full name. Baby Dread. Uh, you want to read this one? Sure. So we're talking a lot about Shazam. Yeah, this is Ari Shazam. Matt screaming Shazam is my favorite intro so far. Thank you. I was excited. I was. Uh, <laughs> you guys talked a lot about uh, Sandberg's horror background and how... Uh, you were reminded of comic book flicks from the late '90s, but he mentioned that he was surprised that Sam Raimi didn't come up, and that is a incredibly apt. I think. Um, yeah, because uh,
1: Sam Raimi was, of course, thing. a horror filmmaker beforehand, and Spider-Man, the first one, uh, had a lot of horror elements in it. Yeah. Um, I think the comparison is is perfectly apt. Sandberg yeah. and and Sam Raimi. Now, Sandberg, uh, David Sandberg, the director of Shazam, didn't hasn't got as long a storied. History of making films prior to uh, um, right uh, man yeah. you know it was his third movie. Uh, but I think you know you pointed this out in the Shazam episode as well. The the horror elements of Shazam were kind of jarring, I guess, in some respects. But but it it makes sense when you think about where Sandberg comes oh, 100%. from. Oh,
0: hundred percent. And 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 the the like you just said too. Uh, I think Caesar's um, analogy here is is very on point because while. Um, Sandberg doesn't have the the I guess the filmography mm-hmm. and the same as Raimi did, but they're still coming from a similar genre together. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean the the journey is the same, just a little bit truncated.
1: Have we seen any Sam Raimi films since the Drag Me to Hell?
0: Um, I don't believe so. I'm just I'm just doing Google a quick Google that I'm real just, quick. I'm like
1: I feel like he's just dropped out of. Uh, Dropped out of the ether for a little bit, but uh, maybe, no, him, and, maybe been, him
0: and Bruce will come back.
1: Uh, he's been directed. Oh no, he directed Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, you know the first of the Disney. Oh, remakes. that's right, that's right. Uh, he's got a. He he does have two films coming up. Uh, one is called The King Killer Chronicle, and the other is called World War Three. Okay, uh, so World War Three, you can look out for that one.
0: I uh, like <laughs> coming soon to an Earth near you. Um, no, I love Sam Raimi. I I think um, I would love to see more from him. I always enjoy his work. I love a
1: simple plan. That's my favorite Sam Raimi uh-huh. movie, um,
0: which is not like any of his other films. I love Evil Dead 2. Yeah, that's the direct remake of Evil Dead yeah. 1, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like Evil Dead, but better. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, You know, I, I've i seen all the Evil Dids. I can't say I'm like a... You know, and the thing with the Evil Dead thing, I think, is the thing that you talked about with The Big Lebowski, which is that the fanboys around Evil Dead are really... They're, they're
0: extra, you know? You know what, I don't... I, I, look, I know what you're going for with that statement. I don't think I've ever really run into Evil Dead fans that are the oh. same as Big Lebowski fans. Or, like, Big Lebowski fans, I feel like, are are pe- like older versions of Rick and Morty fans. Right. I, I guess
1: I always run into Evil Dead fans who are kind of uh, young filmmakers who are, like, just obsessed with Evil Dead. Um, I wonder
0: if that's going to change as we get old. like Because there has got to be, like, a new... Uh, what's the new... Uh, it's cabin in the woods, in the, I guess, I something know. like that. It,
1: at any rate, um, uh, so I've never really, really gotten into it, but I did, I did like that, and I, and I, I like Evil Dead Three a lot. You mean when, Army of Darkness? Uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah. When, he, when he trips through time, which is good, again a good reference for what we're going to be talking about <laughs> later. Uh, we also got a message uh, about Shazam. I think I posted the note that they, you know, this is going to be a conversation about whether Shazam was any good, and uh, my buddy Matt. Uh, Matthew chimed in with, "There is no discussion. It is simply the best superhero film from DC outside of the Nolan trilogy uh, and Batman's two Batman uh, two Batman flicks. So that's uh, Burton, outside yeah. of fi- uh, out of uh, Burton's flicks. So Batman. it's the sixth
0: best DC <laughs> film.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that no, that's no, uh, yeah. fifth. Yeah, it is the sixth one. The sixth one. Yeah, right, yeah. I do math word numbers. I think he probably, well, does he mean kind of the the new DC? I
0: don't know. I'm going to say it's the sixth best (laughs) DC, but I would say it's the seventh. Uh,
1: Matthew continues, as a boy who grew up wanting to be a superhero, in Philadelphia, no less, this movie struck a chord uh, that has been waiting to be hit. Mash it up with another one of my own personal faves, Big, and you have a home run. They were true to the character, lots of homages, tons of tawny references, and even Mr. Mind showed up. Huge. Huge win! Um, a lot of lot of love for Shazam this week. Made a lot of money. Uh, completely trounced Hellboy at the box office uh, in the it's second
0: week. And for what it sounds like, rightfully so. I mean, yeah, I saw the Hellboy trailer, and I th- people that were around, my friends and stuff, were like pumped for it, and I was like, "How are you pumped for this? Like, it? I, did you watch the trailer?
1: Uh, I've seen. I know seen, you don't normally. I've, I've seen like an Instagram trailer. I think just images. Like, you know?
0: it wants to be edgy so bad. Right. And I, and I think and it's
1: uh, that that is one thing i've read uh, in the re- in in the reviews for hellboys that it's extremely violent um, in a way that is sort of like jarring to view, and I think that would be. I, I'm kind of curious to see it for that reason, because I think it'll be a good example of where violence. You know, we've been talking about a violence in cinema episode for a while, where violence is kind of misused um, or or not used in a sort of way that actually that undermines what the
0: the filmmakers think they're doing. Sure, and look, if if by the end of our discussion today we decide that that's the next movie we'd like to do, Ooh, uh, I, I, I mean, but that. like, but I don't. I'm I not w- excited to see it. No, no, no. But like, I'm not excited to see. I don't want to see it. I have no desire to see it yeah um but it might be an interesting uh i mean because that's something we can directly pull from the the violence topic we mm. can also pull from sort of like the quick remake topic there's a there's a lot of filmmaking discussion to happen around that film yeah um so maybe i don't know I, um yeah.
1: I'm, I'm sort of like uh, the only other thing about it is neil marshall who directed it and directed one of my favorite horror films in the last uh 10 to 15 years which was descent uh, he did Descent? He did the scene. Yeah. Shit, that movie's good. That is such a great film. And, and I had such a great experience watching yeah, that movie. Descent is dope. That was a, that was a movie I walked into. Actually, I, I saw it as part of a 24-hour movie marathon. Ooh. And it was like the fourth movie in. Okay. And, right. and so like I knew nothing about it. And I was already exhausted. And I watched the whole thing. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then I re like I waited like a probably a, a good year or so afterwards to rewatch it because I was like, maybe it was just, you know, mixed in with all the rest of the movie. And it's it's amazing. It didn't, holds up so well. Didn't it have multiple
0: endings that it released different to different theaters?
1: The famous story about it is that the the ending was recut for American audiences, That's and the
0: American ending is very
1: standard, stock standard. Whereas yeah. the British ending is kind of incredible. Yeah. And, and the British, to be to be honest, to be fair, the British ending or the re- ending that I saw in theaters was what made it amazing. So uh, the idea that 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 was com- that was taken out was sort of. It wasn't just like a small element. It was the thing that elevated it from good horror into a, an amazing film.
0: The thing that elevated it for me, uh, this is the only podcast about the film Descent, um, is the... Actually, to be honest, the first half of the film is far scarier than the last half of the film for me. And right. and it was because... No spoilers it was, here. Yeah, but yeah. it was because um, it, it captured, for the first time for me ever seeing on film, uh, an actual sense of claustrophobia. Yeah. um, And... I had not experienced that. I'm not particularly claustrophobic. In fact, even when I was younger, I used to explore a lot of caves, not only uh, in where I grew up, but like um, there's a place called like How Caverns, which is sort of like a real sort of in New York, mm. where like it's a an actual natural hot spring thing that's now very touristy, and you can go yeah. down. There's like an underwater river. You go in a boat. But like I used to like squeeze through. Ca- like I used to not care. And then I watched Descent, and I was like, it almost like this again. It yeah. almost started a fear for me, which yeah. is impressive uh, slash detrimental to my mental health. But um, no, that movie's great. And that's I'm so shocked that he did that he did Hellboy now.
1: Yeah, well, you know he I mean he's directed a couple of the great episodes of Game of Thrones as well. He directed oh. Doomsday. He's you know I, I think he's a guy. Maybe there's enough of a discussion. He's know. got other films coming out as well. So I think I, I think you know th- that that's the main reason I was sort of disappointed to hear that. Uh, and also, um, uh, oh god, we've gotten down the Hellboy track. But uh, but I, but I have to say this now, which is that I I don't love the the no, I didn't understand guillermo del Toro's Hellboys one and two but I thought they were extraordinary movies like I, I watched, love those I watched those and I was like these are way 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 better than I think these should be in terms of what I thought these films were gonna be and I and maybe you know like to me I think they're films than sam raimi's spider-man one and two so like 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 i I was that taken by it i'm more of a fan of spider-man so i was kind of like more there but i like watched hellboy one and two and i was like these are pretty extraordinary films
0: listen well only one of them had a song from the lead singer of nickelback so i don't know if you can even put them in i'm trying to
1: remember which one it was you don't know
0: and they say a hero oh, will save Lord. us. I'm not gonna stand here and wait.
1: And I'm glad I forgot that. Um, (laughs) I hold
0: on to the wings of the eagle. No? Okay. Okay. Yeah, please don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like your Shazam intro for me, which apparently other people love. Uh, James, who I spoke to uh, via Facebook, uh, also tweeted in uh, about our Shazam episode, one of our favorite episodes to date, agreed with just about 100% of all the remarks you
0: both made. Thank you very much, James. Yeah. Uh, We also got something from Zach. I believe this was an email. Yep. Hello, Zach. Um, Talking about streaming services, because we went down that rabbit hole because we seem to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach says, just listened to the discussion about Netflix. I agree and think it's awesome that I can pay a reasonable amount of money for access to films that might have passed me by. I think it's a little silly to fight uh, uh, fight to p- pick between uh, amazing Netflix only films and some piss poor blockbusters cough, cough, Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> cough <laughs> as to which is worthy of an award. Uh, talking about streaming services, have you ever heard of Mubi? Or M-Mubi? Mubi? Mubi? Mubi. Yeah. Uh, M-U-B-I. Uh, I swear I'm not selling you guys on something. Uh, it's such a good streaming service, which is a smaller More tailored service, I just saw under. Silver Lake, which is a fantastic film on movie.
1: I'd not heard of movie, so I've got friends who swear by movie. Yeah. I've never signed up to movie because I have too many streaming services uh, uh, as it is right now. But movie is something that I think I would be very interested in. the 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 the, the niche with movie is that it's a very curated services. Okay. Um, so you only get uh I think ten movies a month. So it's like a
0: Criterion streaming service uh, now.
1: Yeah, and and very specialized films, and they they sele- they handpick those films, and you can only watch them for one month, and then they will disappear off the service. Wow. And then, and then a new a new Set of films will come, and and that's I, fun. I, I, the idea there is that they're they're really picking films that they want to talk about, that they want to have a conversation around, um, and that they think that you know they can tailor kind of a month's worth of streaming for you. Hey,
0: movie! If you want you want the only podcast mm. about movie, uh, <laughs> get a hold of us. We'll we'll do some stuff for you.
1: Um, also, the Criterion Channel just launched this week after being rebranded or re-emerging from the the the, the dips ether? of of the film the 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 end of the film struck channel. Um, I would I still have a thing where I buy Criterion Blu-rays. Whenever Criterion goes on sale, I buy them. So the idea that I would pay was it nine ninety nine to, to just have them all on Axis, I think I should do that, but I just I just I would rather my my problem right now is I have too much content. Like between Netflix, <laughs> yeah, HBO And you don't even Amazon, play video games much. Yeah, there's like this is too many things and, and I like I still like having a physical I do too. discs that I can like pull from.
0: Because the internet goes out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. Um, so I while I think the Criterion Channel is excellent uh, um, and I'm sure it's a wonderful service um, and movies is, is a wonderful service as well. I just have too many things I can watch right now. So I um, I like to act as my own algorithm a sure. little bit. And I like to, you know, like if I hear about a movie, uh, I will <laughs> go out and see- seek it out, you know, kind of things. So I, I like to to try and defy the algorithm. If, if you possibly. hear
0: about a movie hear about a movie um, on a movie well also the the mouse just kicked down the door to your house uh, yesterday uh, yeah, I yeah. believe and they announced Disney plus for reels for reels uh, coming in November and they announced the thing
1: that I that I said was gonna be on there which is that uh, they are the the home for The Simpsons now
0: yep The and entire
1: Simpson Street streaming
0: service. yep because of the ac- acquisition of Fox and uh 699 a month to start of course it'll probably double in in two years or three years but yep. whatever I mean they're trying to kill Netflix what do you think about um so I've, I've been reading a lot of reddit about this because okay. uh, so you know that <laughs> the discourse service. yeah the discourse is pure um and some people are like oh this is great because it, it makes a competition and other people are like no it's just going to wipe out netflix and we're going to get cable back and then people are like well yeah this is like cable but you get to cancel whatever you want and there's no commercials and then other people are like well cable didn't used to have commercials so like uh, I don't know. What What do you think? Mean, is it Is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly?
1: Um, I think the thing that'll be interesting for me is that Netflix has managed to create a service which is diverse because it doesn't have a brand that it's trying to push. Push. Well, yeah, it does it, now. It, it It has a.
0: But I, its brand I, is diversity, weirdly.
1: Yeah, well, its brand is it could be anything. You yeah. know, like, uh, you can get Roma, you can get action movies. You know, you can get, um, uh, there's a movie coming out, uh, Isn't It Romantic? Uh, which I think is going to be a fun movie uh, mm-hmm. Todd Strauss. Um, so you can basically, you know, like, I think what Netflix is interested in is filmmakers. Um, what I think Disney is interested in is its brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only thing about Disney that I'm sort of curious about, you know, and a lot of the, pro- a lot of the shows that they're announcing are Marvel spinoffs and... Uh, uh, Star Wars spin-offs. Um, so uh, you know look I am sure those shows will be good. Uh, Taika Waititi is directing episodes of The Mandalorian. Jean Favaro is, dra- uh, is is see- overseeing that whole thing. They announced uh, uh, a Falcon and, Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier
0: which I was mm-hmm. like I, I don't know if I need to see a show about those two I guys. think it could be interesting. I mean, if they if they make it like Captain America: Civil War, then yeah, like I think that's super interesting. I think um or not not Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier, <coughs> right? Um and also uh, Hawkeye. There's going to be a Hawkeye series, which is about him training Kate Bishop, which is the sec like the the right. up and comer of Hawkeye. So like that's super interesting to me. Yeah. Um,
1: if they can make there's any- a
0: Vision show. No, there's no it's Scarlet Witch. <laughs> it might be Scarlet Witch and Vision. There's a Scarlet Witch one. There's a Loki one. Right. Which I'm all about that. And um... I hope the Loki one is like him throughout time. Like I want it to be like an anthology, but it just has Loki in it. I mean, does, does this
1: all kind of bode, interestingly, for what we think Infinity War ending... Anyway, look, no, no, no. sorry. I'm, I, ta- I I retract that statement as soon as I said it. Look, my point here is um, uh, all of these services have to prove that they have something compelling to watch. Uh, Netflix has done that, in my opinion, with things like Roma. Uh, HBO has done that with things like Game of Thrones. Uh, Amazon Prime I think has a lot of uh, really great mm-hmm. content um, uh, that they have produced as
0: well, like Cold War. Um, Last question, though, on streaming services. Yeah. What do you think this announcement does boding for for Apple TV, oh Apple TV! Remember, yeah. remember that one that no one really gives a shit about, even though we are baked into their uh, friggin' N- ecosystem. Yeah,
1: I, well, see, this this is too many of these things now. Um, l- for me, it'll all come down to content. If if there is a show that must be watched or a movie that I can only get, and but but that I think is going to be the probably the detriment to all of us. You know, like where where one service will have this one thing that you have to see. Um, like CBS is
0: trying that but it hasn't worked yet
1: yeah you know because because to me the underlying thing underneath all of my services is iTunes or or VOD service where I where I go okay I know Netflix has Roma for example but if I don't have Netflix I can just rent it you know rent that single film yeah. on, on on iTunes Amazon. You know, or Amazon or iTunes or something like that so look you're, you're we are getting into this I think the reddit comment about whether we're sort of getting into a cable streaming scenario is kind of it's it's a different form of that sort of competition is emerging and will kind of take its place, which is just the natural evolution of how these these streaming services will will kind of take shape. Yeah. Um I, I I love things like Mubi, even though I haven't signed up to it, but like uh, friends of mine do and what I would do is like they would say they would basically watch the 10 movies and then say oh
0: I love this this and this and then I would go and rent those how do we not I mean while you're watching a movie on movie how do you not say you're watching a movie well oh, how are you not watching a movie yeah. I
1: think I think it's the thing there's that theory about how to name a, a tick company I think
0: it's fantastic <laughs> I, I think uh, and again I don't know the surface. you know I just know what you and um, and what Zach has said but um that uh, anyway yeah
1: <laughs> neat stuff thanks Zach uh yeah moving on movie um, movie. <laughs> Look, um. I, I want to read this one email. <laughs> this came from uh, Ana uh, from uh, Chile. Anna, This was such a nice email. Anna, and, hello. Uh, I know we've been going on about emails for a little while. We will get to the man who killed Don Quixote, but... Uh, but only three of you watched it, so <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. My name is Anna from Chile. I discovered you two months ago when I was looking for some podcasts to listen to on my holiday. I really love and enjoy listening to your discussions about movies and all the interesting details, no matter whether you like or dislike the movie. I have to say, I've listened to some episodes Four times while I'm driving uh, to the job, back and forth, uh, not in the same day. Uh, one of those <laughs> was obviously the one about Cold War. I really love that movie, and I thank you because you helped me to know why. Uh, you are the only podcast about movies. Of course, you are the best. Thank you so much for existing. See you someday, Anna. That
0: was such. I a was. Long- I <laughs> literally when when you texted me, you're like really nice email in the inbox, and I went in. I got I got a little misty, Anna. Thank you very much. That was very sweet, and um. I'm glad that we've become part of your uh, your routine, which yeah. is nice. And also I mean Anna, Anna said this and also a couple other listeners have said this that they really appreciated the Cold War episode. Yeah and um, that's awesome. Like that's the kind of that's like a sweet spot. I, I love like it. Oddly
1: cold uh, you know looking up at our stats, Cold War is surprisingly on par with the Marvel movies because in terms I don't of think stats. there was a
0: lot of podcasts about
1: Cold War. It's so strange. Um, I just yeah, don't think there was. Uh, okay, well let's let's hope we can pull in those numbers. For the man who killed Don
0: Quixote, <laughs> uh, tell your friends. Uh, hey, we... I'm gonna read uh, what IMDb says. The Man from Don Quixote. The man from, we keep calling New it the, the wrong man, thing. I don't know the what. man who killed Don Quixote yeah. uh, is about. Toby, a disillusioned filmmaker, becomes pulled into a world of time-jumping fantasy when a Spanish cobbler believes him to be Sancho Panza. He gradually becomes unable to tell dreams from reality. Mm. All accurate.
1: Uh, incredibly accurate. I think. I think the same could be. You could. You could take out the word Toby and replace it with uh, Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Uh, often. <laughs> so uh, again, as we mentioned up top, uh, lost. Uh, you know, this is a film that he's been working on since 1989 or something like this. So when we've just passed the 30-year uh, uh, mark on this film, mm-hmm. uh, on development on this film, which is sure. not unusual. You know, look, uh, Ang Lee's got a film coming out uh, next year called The Gemini Man, which is a film that has been floating around Hollywood, for I think, for like 30 years uh, as a screenplay. So there, it's not unusual to have films in development it is a, it is slightly unusual to have a film from a single m- filmmaker but this is the one i i think the story or our discussion about the man who, who killed don quixote will be a lot about the discussion of terry gilliam and his persistence in who he is as a filmmaker um, yeah i so I, i'm gonna let you take the floor first but i i was very uh, adamant that we should go see this, even if it's only streaming one—you know, s- screening one night only—which I think is going to be hard for a lot of our listeners to get through. Again, thank you, James, for going to see it and for reaching out to. to <laughs> and to any do- of you who did, yeah, any of you who did based on our recommendation, I'm very thrilled about that. But many of you may have gone anyway because you're fans of Terry Gilliam, um, and and the reason I wanted to do that is because I think we we have to celebrate. The persistence of someone, as extraordinary a filmmaker as Terry Gilliam is, for putting something in front of us. He's basically, um, you know, like, I have thoughts about the film itself, but I have to just, you, you have to give it up. For the guy who's going to take the big swing at something that's not a commercial, you know, like it, it does, the commercial viability of this project is is questionable. And, you know, if you're just a, looking at it from a financial point of view, I mean, it's
0: got Kylo Ren in it. Um, and it
1: had Johnny Depp in it at one point. Yeah. Um, and it's based on one of the most famous novels of all time. Um, but but I think. You know, you just have to give it up for the big swing, and I and I just wanted us to celebrate the big swing, regardless of what we think about the film. Uh, I think it was just important to acknowledge, hey, this guy's been trying to make this film for thirty years, and it's so the again for me seeing the flood open up is you know it's almost like the hand of God coming down sure. and telling Terry Gilliam not this time, buddy, but he still gets up. And, like, you know, Sisyphus uh, <laughs> rolls that mount up the hill. And he finally managed to get, you know, The Rock up the hill. And and I was like, I gotta without,
0: go. without it starring The Rock. We gotta go see it. Um, the interesting thing is, uh, I, I didn't quite realize this until before this podcast, you watched the trailer for The Fisher King, uh, mm-hmm. and we were talking about Terry Gilliam's career. Yeah. And I kind of, I mean, I joked, but it's kind of true. Like, while he's been working on this film for 30 years, he's kind of been making different versions of this film for 30 years. <laughs> well, uh, he made... I believe The
1: Fisher King was made before the last, you know.
0: Sure, s- but like, what I'm saying is like, okay, Fisher King feels kind of familiar uh, with, with sort of the plot line. Um, also, a little bit of, um, what's it called, even Monty Python and the Holy Grail has a bit of the same sort of vibe slash sort of underlying bandits, plot. Time Brazil, Bandits. And even Fear, Fear and, and Loli, Like, it's all kind Tied of. Land, and that's not to say that that's a bad thing. It's, 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 it's different spins on a very similar story.
1: Well, here's the thing about Terry Gilliam, um, which is that. That I, I I was thinking about like how to frame Terry Gilliam um, in terms of who he is as a filmmaker, and the best thing I could come up with was that he is the he is an alternate version an alternate history version of Tim Burton, in my mind. Uh, Both animators, both started out um, directing films um, with uh, sort of uh, established properties. uh, Terry Gilliam with Monty Python, uh, with the Monty Python uh, uh, band, Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Tim Burton with um, Pee Wee uh, Herman, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. uh, Both uh, garnered some success enough to kind of get into the studio system. um, Both uh, making big enough films to, you know, garner them Oscars and awards. Both with unique, distinct visions that have. that that can be recognized as both fantastical and and a name brand. You know, you you can say this is a Terry Gilliam film, this is a Tim Burton film. I think somewhere along the lines, Tim Burton became a version of Terry Gilliam or Terry Gilliam became the inverted version of of Tim Burton, which is, you know, like Tim Burton just released uh, an adaptation of uh, Dumbo, he's done Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows. You know, his films have kind of gotten a little bit more uh, generic in years to come. Terry Gilliam, on the other hand, has been pushing this rock uphill to make this, you know, like... Uh, and little
0: chips of it have been coming off into other films. Into,
1: into other films, and he's been struggling, and his films are not as financially successful, but I think he... I think in my mind, you know, the the one way to sort of frame him up, you know, not obviously not literally, is to say he's sort of an alternate version, you know, an alternate history of what may have happened to Tim Burton if Tim Burton maybe had persisted with the oddities of his early films like Edward Scissorhands um, um, into, instead of going into this sort of more... I think commercial you know, like Tim Burton, I, I love Tim Burton, but I feel like the 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 more recent films feel like feel kind of like the Disney version well, of here's Tim Burton. The, here's, he's the the brand, you know? here's the
0: question. Did our did our as a society mm. with our homogenization of media and content turn the Tim Burton like who Tim Burton actually is as a human being and what he's always made? Into that thing that feels packaged, like for instance, like uh, it's the hot topicing of of content. So I look at uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, right? right. Uh, that's all over everything, and it's so you know whatever. And then then Tim Burton became synonymous with that. Now is that Tim Burton's fault? I know he didn't direct he it, didn't but, direct he, but it, yeah. like he's, he's deeply involved in it. No, I don't. Um, I
1: don't think it's. I don't think. I, and again, I'm not suggest. You know, I'm I'm not sort of equating a, a quality level or or. Guy. No, that's not
0: what I'm saying either. I yeah. just I just find that interesting because like you, I a hundred feel the same way like tim burton is the safely packaged like ooh kind of dark and weird but like wasn't that like it's not like edward scissorhands was not the safe version of dark and weird like it's you know know what i mean it just became normalized to us and i think
1: terry gilliam is kind of uh, in a weird way has kind of uh, i think feels like a missier tim burton you know like his films don't always pull together as strongly His, his his ideas are big and wild and loud and imaginative and they don't always make sense but you know like he's he's still out there batting you know like putting
0: it together so i didn't i never had watched an interview with terry gilliam before. okay and the one you sent me um, but you'd watch lost in la mancha so you'd seen him before oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. but um i gotta say the 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 before we get into the film 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 um i i i hope that watching the interview didn't negatively affect my view of the film, because I actually didn't particularly like him. Oh, okay. Uh, at least from what he... Uh, Is it because of his uh, his superhero comments? Oh, that was rough. That oh. was actually, I think, irresponsible and rough, but that's not even... Uh, for for, <laughs> for context, um, it, it, As it, as I'm noticing that a lot of people that are not involved with the superhero stuff really try to... Uh, they, I think they think they're punching down, but at this point they're punching up, um, sort of trying to take hits at like, uh, oh, they're not like important or they're problematic or so, you know, stuff like that. And Terry Gilliam basically... Uh, and I don't want to put too many words in his mouth and this is all secondhand so I'm, I'm going to butcher it but he was like when I was growing up and I saw films I was inspired and I wanted to do the things that I saw and he's like I can't help but wonder if young men today see these superhero films and then get frustrated that they'll never have superpowers and then they go and shoot up a mall and I was like whoa Terry Gilliam like yeah. so. And, and and he goes I mean I don't know but I find it interesting and I was like that's <laughs> Incredibly I think irresponsible to say, and and kind of like you trying to do a slight bit. Even I don't think it was on purpose. I don't mm-hmm. think he had a, a vendetta, yeah. but like that's that's troubling rhetoric, and it's not it's not good for anyone. It's not good for him. It's not good for you know. It's just it's, yeah. it's it, it, bad. It,
1: it was a it was an unfortunate uh, use of phrase. I think again, you know, I, I've said this about you know when we talked about Liam Neeson's comments, you know, when we talked about people in priest junkets and those sorts of things that. You know, like it's a it's a weird thing, and you should sort of take everything that everyone says with the context in which it was presented. He's also
0: an older gentleman. Like I I understand that. Like there's there's content, whatever. But, but that so it wasn't just that though. Okay. Um, a lot of the way he sp- sort of spoke about himself, and I guess you know, directors uh, should be confident and and like themselves very much. But he he um he equated. What was it? It was um oh uh, he what, <laughs> things like he's a craftsman not a filmmaker and mm-hmm. I was like you're a filmmaker. Like well, what, I but, but I, what I, his... I find I find terms like that needlessly pedantic. Like mm-hmm. you you're not no you're not you're you're crafting a film there's a word for that it's called a filmmaker. Right, but then I I he he's basically trying to, to turn
1: the phrase filmmaking around to what he believes he does. Like, is that? But he's a fil- he's making films. Yeah, but he believes he's a craftsman, and, and then, in the in the sort of traditional sense of the art word.
0: And then that was a minor thing. And then the two other. It was just like there's a lot of sort of small cuts that really got me. Um, he actually, and I again because I didn't I hadn't read the book. Yeah. Um. Uh. He he actually did ruin the end of the movie. He spoiled it, which, again, I, I'm going in blind, and it was sort of, like it, it actually made me think of our trailer discussion. I actually, I did
1: think about that, because I turned it off. When he said, I'm going to spoil the end of the movie, I turned it off. Yeah. And then I said, I'll just come back
0: once. And step. so I was like, cool. And then the last thing that actually got me the, the most was uh, he was discussing for, like, almost no reason. I think it was they asked him a question about difficulties in filmmaking, right I don't remember what it was. And he talked about He said, like, there was a young actress, and I won't say who her name is. But basically, she had to come in, and there was a shower scene in a movie, and then they brought in all these pictures in in a book of, of you know, her naked. And, like, he goes, well, that's one way to get a role. And then so, like I was like, okay, you know, slow down. Your, your nice guy fly is, is unzipped. Uh, and, like, then basically... The whole thing happened, and then I guess they got to the day of shooting after they had all signed on and blah, 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 and then the woman decided that she wasn't comfortable and didn't do the scene. Right. And, look, I understand from a contractual thing or, like, whatever, but, like... If, if a person on set is not comfortable doing a thing, and there could have been multiple reasons. There could have been people involved in that scene that, that weren't there in the thing. Like, it was just a real slimy thing. Like, he was trying to, at least in this story, it came across as painting this actress as the villain for not wanting to get n- naked on set. I think, but his point his point, His very- point was that it was agreed upon, but we don't know all of the... I mean, mm-hmm. th- we don't know the the variables in that. But like, that, there's but, a lot. But that was... but.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of variables that could have been there, and he's telling the story. But that was his point, right? Like, his point was that you can occasionally uh, come into uh, – you can get into situations where you've agreed upon something's in the script, and his point was that this actress had come in and, and was going to do the scene, and then on the day, she decided against it. Now, but, the again, way,
0: but the way he presented it and the mm-hmm. way he sort of discussed even the process of getting to that point came off as kind of slimeball. And it, it th- there's a way to tell that story. Yeah. And, and if it's not a slimebally thing, you can you can tell that story better. And he's a he's a storyteller, right. so uh, it, it kind of gave the entire of the of the interview gave me a little bit of more of a glimpse than I think uh, I wanted into where his head's at these days. Okay, so what did that do for you for for the film? Well, so so for the film, I really tried because I I was honestly after you you wanted to go see this film, I was legitimately excited to go do it, and then um. Uh, You know, when I went and saw it, I instantly, like, I was like, I don't want this interview to sort of taint what this is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I don't think it actually did. I think I can be pretty, um, I think I can be pretty unbiased with, I mean, it's definitely like, because again, 30 years, Terry Gilliam, this is his brain, like, this is his brain brand. Yeah. you know, it's it's definitely uh, a part of his psyche, but I think well, you coined I don't I don't want to take your thunder, but you and Jamie coined two beautiful phrases when <laughs> when talking about this movie. Do you remember what yours was? Uh, I don't remember what you might be thinking of. I have a, I have
1: a phrase that I've kind of used to to what I would describe the film as, which is that it's a big beautiful mace. That's what
0: it was. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah. And then uh, something that Jamie said um when we left the theater, she said. Uh, We asked her what she thought of it, and she's like, it's like I'm holding a beautiful, incredibly fragile thing in my hands, and the second I move or talk or think about it, it's going to just shatter. Right. And I was like, fuck, yeah, because there is something emotionally resonant in this film beyond straight up like it's the culmination of filmcraft of course to 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 get there. Yeah. But like beyond the sum of its parts, it does manage to get to a special place. Yeah. Um, but that place is precarious and fragile and and it's like, it's like stacking, it's like the tower in the movie that they stack all the old things, like, and they're all teetering over and like, they're going to burn. them.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, but what, what, how did you just, I mean, I know I brought a lot of context to this film in terms of, you know, like the third, you know, just saying yeah. the 30 years kind of thing. And kind the, of even brings, the Lost in
0: La Mancha. Uh, um, but, 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 but how did you respond to the film as a film? Um. It, it, in in similar ways to the two last quotes I walked out of it and I was like I didn't dislike my time in yep. the movie um but the more I thought about it the less I I could allow myself to like it's hard to get lost it 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 makes it made me lose myself while experiencing it mm-hmm. but it is not a film that while thinking about it I get lost in right uh it is it is when thinking about it you can kind of Pick it apart quite easily to what is good and what is not so good. What what is what's what's what are the good and not uh, so good cinematography to? was so fucking beautiful. Like everything was, uh, every scene I will say was shot with intention, with beautiful locations and. Um, and uh, amazing set dressings and and costuming, I thought. Uh, the acting as well, I thought, was gorgeous and um, direct when it needed to be, emotional when it needed to be. It switched from, uh, you know, uh, magical realism to, like, real, real world, to, like, pure fantasy, to delusion. Like, it did all that very well, and the actors played their parts tremendously. Adam Driver, holy fuck, man. Like, that dude is... Uh, I love Adam Driver. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, um, is it Jonathan Jonathan Price? Jonathan Price, Uh, uh, the High Sparrow. I've loved, well, yeah, even, I mean, he was, I mean, he's played the president Mm -hmm. and uh, Zartan and G.I. Joe, Mm -hmm. uh, and he did, um, he was uh, Elizabeth Swann's dad. Like, he's been doing a lot of, like, he does great, he he was a great Bond villain.
1: Yep, he was also in Brazil. Yeah, Uh,
0: yeah. so uh, I I love him, too. Um, The stuff that I didn't think Mm -hmm. worked um, was sort of, the rules of this movie are there are no rules, mm-hmm. and that's a hard sell for me. Mm-hmm. Um I know you're dipping toes it was dipping toes into magical realism and, and and delusion and and whatnot, but uh you need I think still you need some sort of structure, even if that structure is loose. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really have that. And that also showed to me I, I feel like I've been harping on editing a lot lately. But the mm-hmm. editing of this film, and I'm not talking about like the um I guess I am. There was a lot of like cutaways over and over and over. Like the the, the cuts were faster than usual, Mm -hmm. and to me, that felt it felt like it was cut together in a sort of jazz way, like on feeling less more so than what might be best for the scene or they were just didn't have enough coverage and were trying to find a way to make it seem a little bit more energetic right. but it did throw me yeah um n- not the same way that um like a bohemian rhapsody like knocks me out of the entire story but i noticed it and it just felt like a, like you sort of coined it that's that was the mm-hmm. mess part to yeah. me um those were sort of my initials. Like, what? What about you? You? Well,
1: um, I'm going to take a few side steps before I get to take them side steps. Uh, The the thing. So I've I've read Don Quixote a long time ago. I I'm not entirely sure I finished it. <laughs> I have read it a very very long time ago. Uh, I feel like I, I finished it, but I may not have. Um, and I think Don Quixote is is a really fascinating fascinating novel, particularly for the second half of the novel, which is basically where Don Quixote confronts the fact that the first half of the novel has existed and is out in the world. So it becomes this meta-narrative where... People are reading the first half of the book, and he's kind of interacting with it. And there was like this there's this famous story about Miguel Cervantes um, being pissed off that there was an unofficial sequel to Don Quixote being written, and so he wrote his own sequel and he integrated it into the novel. Um, and it became this sort of meta text, That's around, fun. Which, which is really great. And the thing that I, I I think I always sort of batted up against when Lost in La Mancha was I was un, I was always unsure why Gilliam had injected this time travel narrative into. Don Quixote. I I wasn't. I I was. I was just very unsure as to why this framing story needed to happen. You know, in the original one, Johnny Depp comes back and he's like, you know, he's a he's a modern man in in historic times kind of thing. They've sort of taken. They've uh, Gilliam has twisted that or turned that vision around. I think to something more palatable. A for the budget. B for the where he is in his life right now. Um, But but to be fair, that you know, uh, Quixote is this sort of amazing novel and that so many people have been trying to make a Don Quixote film for so long. Orson Welles famously wandered around spending every last dollar he had trying to make a Don Quixote film and it eventually got put together by one of his editors, Jess Franco, and I've seen it
0: and it's not good. <laughs> it's, it's a... Why do you think that is? Why do you think Don Quixote is, is a thing that that filmmakers in particular, especially um, uh, well-known eccentric filmmakers, lend themselves to.
1: So uh, in Lost in La Mancha, uh, Gilliam has this quote, or he talks a little bit about it, and and, and it's the thing uh, that is fascinating about Quixote. Now, Quixote, for us, might be a little bit of an antiquated idea, but I think the, the parable that you could use is that Quixote is a man who believes in his fantasy, and and uh, there's a quote from a quiz show, the Robert reedford film, <laughs> uh, where uh, Mark Van Doren, this character, is teaching his class about Quixote, and one of the students asks him something along the lines of like, why does Quixote matter? And and Mark Van Doren, the character, says something along the lines of, if you want to be in, if you believe you're a knight, become a knight. And that's what's powerful about Quixote. Quixote is this is this very old man who spent his life reading these books and decides he's going to be that and and the power of quixote the the thing about the book is that quixote dies when he stops believing and and there's a the, the great tragedy of, of don quixote is that he he loses the thing we love about him the minute reality steps into his life. And he's, you know, everyone around him while he's, like, attacking windmills and, and trying to, like, be knighted is t- trying to get him to stop because he's dangerous. He's an old man, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, but that's the romanticism of Quixote is that... Is that he is the one fighting windmills? He is the one who believes he's molding the world to be the way he wants it to be. He's a chaos magician. Yeah, and and Gilliam says something along the lines is that, uh, which is which is why I think filmmakers are are sort of interested in this, is that um, you know Gilliam says it also has to do. There are very few books about old men, kind of. Seizing the world and making it what they want it to be, and he, and Guillermo and Lost in La Mancha says, you know, I'm 50 years old, or I'm like I'm nearly 60 years old now. I have only so many films in me, um, and, and I want the films to reflect the world that I see and the way that I see it.
0: There's there's a lack of films about old men shaping the world. About old men shaping
1: the world in the, kind of the fantasy way that. Oh, Quixote the fantasy is, way. Okay. You know, in,
0: in, in, in I was gonna say. I think there's a lot.
1: I I think what you're talking about is that old men, you know, shape the world of young men. But I think what I what I'm talking about here is this this idea that that the world can be magic if you want it to be magic, and that's what Quixote is about. Um, and and I've always yeah, like I've always batted up against this idea of like, well, if that's a that's such a, a profound sort of beautiful way to think about the world. Why do we need to inject this sort of time travel mythology into it? Like, why hasn't anyone just tried to adapt it? And there are there are many adaptations of Don Quixote, um, not not too many big big budget mm-hmm. ones. Um, it's been turned into a beautiful ballet. Is kind of like the mm-hmm. best version I've ever seen. Um, so I I was sort of uh, I've always just like rattled up against that idea. Like, why do we need to insert modern man into this? But I, and I think for me on paper, the idea that Uh, adam driver's character toby is a man who's revisiting the past that he's left behind and realizing it has created this chaos in the world i think that's a really fascinating idea you know especially from someone like terry gilliam who's now like in his 70s he talked about uh how the this idea came based on the notion that uh when they made um the life of brian they made it in this small village and and a lot of A lot of people's lives Got affected by them Coming in and making this film You know a lot of people Went off to try and be Hollywood actors And never succeeded A lot of people Had affairs and relationships Were formed and all that Sort of stuff So I think this idea What happens in this film Is Toby uh, is making this Don Quixote-based commercial in Spain, and he he sort of happenstances across a copy of his old film, student film that he made. Um, a town over, which is one town over. He goes back to revisit that town, and he realizes the remnants of his film have affected all the people in it, including uh, which the person who will become his Dulcinea, um, and and uh, this man who was a cobbler who became you know who like who spent the rest of his life playing Don Quixote. Um, And I think that's a fascinating idea. I will say, I found all that stuff in the beginning, this idea, you know, like, whenever there's a film about a filmmaker... So it's my same thing, I don't know, like
0: written... I don't uh, like stories about writers. Like yeah, I, I, yeah. You know,
1: you just sort of, like, you, you bat up against it, because it's like, the way he's talking about being on film set, and yeah, his agent yeah. comes up and, like, is rubbing his shoulders and that sort of thing. I was like, I've never seen a world where this happens.
0: You're uh, a genius! You're <laughs> the only genius here! If you're <laughs> a genius, everything
1: you do is genius! Yeah, yeah, and And, like, Gilliam, uh, I think, in that same... Uh, um, Uh, Interview that we were talking about, he talks about how he directed a Nike commercial and, you know, like it was like this lot of money floating around and he didn't understand the the concept and that sort of thing. So, you know, he, he's come from that world, but I felt like the version he presented is is no version I've ever seen. Maybe I've never I've never directed like huge scale commercials where people are calling me a genius every day. Most of the time people are just swearing at me for like not getting my job done quicker. But but so so whenever I see this idea that, you know, like everyone reveres the director, I'm always like it never feels that way to me. But but that's just me personally. Um, <laughs> the the thing that I I loved this film once the meshing between reality and fantasy became difficult to separate. Like I, when 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 we were jumping at the beginning of the film between you know uh, his memory and and the film that he'd created, and we and we we knew the hard lines between those two things. I was always a little bit. I was never quite in the movie. Um, but when the film kind of became this thing where. Fantasy and reality started meshing in weird ways that like weren't quite decipherable and it wasn't quite easy to like pull apart, well, is this real? Is this is this not real? Is this in, in Quixote's imagination? Is this mm-hmm. not, you know, in Toby's imagination? And I was suddenly like I was I was sitting there going, why doesn't Toby just walk away from the scenario right now? Like why doesn't he just like pull himself, extricate himself from this thing? And it was because this idea that fantasy and reality are meshing up so hard against each other that it's hard to like Pull itself apart. I enjoyed the film when it became kind of Gilliam's, you know, like molding of the world. I don't think the film is like entirely worth the 30-year wait kind of thing. Um, and you know, there are other films. Uh, you know, the, the film I sort of thought about a lot as I was watching this was Fe- uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. You know, which is about him making his next film, and it's it's this beautiful story of like the power of art in amongst this sort of ridiculous vision that he's right. making. I don't think the film kind of comes together in that way. But I, I, you know, selfishly, sort of secretly, just had a smile on my face imagining Terry Gilliam kind of eventually putting things to screen that he had been dreaming of for so long. I think it's a compromised vision of probably what he intended to begin with because he's had so many false starts. But again, I I just kind of... I wanted... I wanted to celebrate the beautiful mess and it is a beautiful mess. It is a, and and it, you know, I don't want to to, uh, distract from the fact that it is a mess. You know, like whether the film actually pulls you into the, like the narrative of Quixote or what, you know, like the story of this filmmaker or the, the idea that, you know, that your past haunts you and, 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 you know, the the remnants of the things you've done uh, are still there. I, I, I don't know if all of that stuff works. I don't, fundamentally, I don't think it does, but, it's a big, beautiful miss, and I want to celebrate the idea that it came. It finally sure, came to screen. Sure. Sure.
0: Um, well, uh, we could probably get into some serious spoilers at this point. Um, uh, it, I, I wanted to say the spoiler that you mentioned that that you know it's in the title. That doesn't mean it's in the film. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't. It, really? it, it, I mean, there, you know, there's. Uh, I mean, that seems like a thing. If I was watching a movie in today's age, or even whatever, that like uh, it doesn't necessarily. I did. I did, t- I did turn off there. the
1: interview when yeah. I when I
0: saw that. When uh, he was discussing that. So some stuff that was weird to me, and I I, I did like it when the, My favorite parts, honestly, were when um they were finally at the castle, and it was the Russian investor putting on a. Uh, medieval sort of, like, party, but then Don Quixote, who's just sort of insane and thinks, or the old man who thinks he's Don Quixote. And they're making fun of him. They're making fun of him. Yeah, yeah. like, that to me was powerful um, in its own right, that sort of section. Right. Uh, the other stuff, it, you know, when it was going sort of back and forth, <laughs> it was a little bit like, I don't know, it was pretty blatant when it went back and forth, and then... At the beginning, and I think towards the end, it kind of... I mean, not really, though. Like, they... they, they the delusions were there, but then, like, he wakes up, and it was part of a dream, and then he's like, oh, now that there's this knight that he has to fight, but then uh, he sort of, like, gets whipped up at it, and then Don Quixote runs away, and then it turns out to be town folk trying to catch him, and, like... But
1: why was the knight wearing these... Li- like, the, the the level of abstraction was such that...
0: They never mm-hmm. explained the abstraction, but they, they pointed yeah. to the, They said, this is abstraction, then they moved on. And you're the, like, and the, what?
1: I, I guess I just liked the when the film kind of really embraced the level which of abstraction was when, yeah. which is when
0: the cuz there was a, a physical narrative reason for mm-hmm. them to like that made the most sense not that you can't make the other stuff make sense narratively but like when they get to the russian billionaire like <laughs> yeah this seems like something that they would do but
1: it you know what i guess my only point there sorry to interrupt is that it doesn't really make sense why the russian billionaire is doing this it's in the it's in don quixote the book uh, it doesn't really make sense in the narrative like why he's doing this but it's sort of like and I, but i was just like I kind of just am just going with it.
0: Yeah. I mean that that in that sense, nothing like yeah. yeah I, n- sure, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, the thing that sort of uh, and and Jamie called this out too. Jamie had so many good um, mm-hmm. sort of takeaways from this film, but um, the ending, ending mm-hmm. when uh, Adam Driver's character, when Toby, accidentally uh, mm-hmm. uh, kills Don Quixote, mm-hmm. um, and then there's like no repercussion, and then then at the end, end. He thinks he's Don Quixote, and then he calls his love interest, he calls her Sancho. And, like, and like, I was just like, what, 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 what are you saying? Like, so, what, so nothing Toby did mattered, or did like that
1: sort of level of abstract, like, like, for example, two, two, um, uh, two security guards or uh, police officers are killed at the beginning of the film, and we're not really sure the repercussions. And they're like, and, and I'm kind of going, did that really happen, or did I imagine that, or, or do they imagine it to happen?
0: And, and that's where the sloppy comes in, because a good film would give you cues to let you know that, even if not upon a, a thing view, you can't just drop things that are that are presented to you as important. And I, then things that just do, then they just say nah, because that's not what's interesting anymore. That I don't think is a um, the the most compelling way to tell a story that is that is uh, that stands the quote test of time.
1: I, I I just like the I liked when the madness of Quixote's mind kind of became the film. Is it, that that's when I found I was enjoying the film more. Sure, I I agree with you in that in that I think. But whether it comes together and makes sense and stuff doesn't really resonate. If if it
0: ended with like just him dying or like something else and like whatever, and then like a monologue of like the two of someone, Don and uh, and Sanjo riding off or like whatever, like that would almost be preferable to me. Like it, it just felt like, oh, so we're doing every idea now. Like yeah, yeah, it it is every idea on screen. And I was just like, so if you're saying everything, you're kind of saying nothing. I mean, And, and and look. The, the, that could be uh, chalked up to uh, the amount of time and the amount of revisions and the amount of work that has gone into actually getting this film finished. Like, yeah. uh, look, no, nothing, no film on a regular timetable comes out unscathed yeah. in ways like this. So the fact that this exists at all is a miracle. Right. Um, but if we're going to look at it objectively, like you sort of said, like, is it worth the 30 year wait? And I was like,
1: not, I, not really. Yeah, I'm not, I, as a film on its own 2 feet, I I don't know. You know, like if you like I don't know if this film's going to play to the average just walking into the movie and going, "Oh, I want to see that thing about Don Quixote." Yeah. You know, like maybe someone who's read Don Quixote or knows what Don Quixote is. Yeah. I don't think I don't even think it plays to them. But I think it's an interesting Beautiful mess, you know what I mean, and I think it's an interesting abstraction of ideas. And I think you know the other part. While while I've never, while I've always just why I kind of just wondered why don't they do a straight adaptation of Don Quixote? I like that he's just he's trying to inject sort of this this meta layer, which also reflects the sort of meta-narrative of
0: what Don Quixote the novel actually is as well but that is even injected incredibly sloppily it's not even done with a syringe it's done no. with like uh, a blowtorch like... yeah look, <laughs> look the best
1: version of this kind of film is Fellini's Eight and a Half which is incredibly emotionally resonant uh, and I think is a film about filmmaking but but somehow manages to be about everything right and, and you know like flows together so beautifully and well. This is, you know, the man who killed Don Quixote is not quite at that level. It feels... You know, its ambitions are big and unwieldy, and Gilliam... So, so, but here's the thing. Gilliam, when he's great, manages to make all of that work. Like, I think Fear and Loathing Las Vegas mm-hmm. is a really great example of the madness of... You know, it's like it's like the madness of King George kind of thing. Where, But he manages to bring it all together and crystallize it into a single idea yep. that is emotionally resonant. The Fisher King is the same way. Brazil is the same way. Twelve Monkeys is the same way. Um, you know, he's he when he's good, he's good. This is not one of my favorite Gilliam yeah. moments yeah. in this film, the, but there was something else that he said in that interview that I, I liked, and it kind of reflected a back upon um, Lost in La Mancha as well, which was that you know he was like, I'm 60 years old now. How many films have I got left in me, and how you know like the things I need to say, uh, how do I say them? And, and in the interview that we read in the builds uh, that we heard in the build series, he talks about how the Gilliam that he was when he was making fear and loathing Las Vegas is, is a different person now. And, you know, like it's not made of the, um, the, the sort of wide angle, crazy camera moments and then things like that, that he used to do when he was younger. Now he's trying to be a little bit more patient. And I was like, and the problem here is that we you know if you're waiting 30 years for a Terry Gilliam film you want to see some Terry Gilliam on film and i think we sort of get that but we don't the thing we don't get is the the crystallization of all of those ideas into a single coherent thought and but but i also like that he's just like he's this man pulling this thread that he doesn't know exactly where it's going to go and he's just going to follow it until until he can no longer follow it anymore, and to me, that kind of reflects a little bit of a Quixotean sort of ethos of the world, and in, and and I think in on those terms, the film works on a purely like going to see a movie at the theater or watching it at home. I'm I'm not sure it all kind of works together, mm-hmm. but I want to celebrate the sort of meta narrative of this more than I want to more than I think I can celebrate the actual film itself.
0: Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's a lot of required reading to go in, yeah, <laughs> which is fine. Um,
1: but but I, and I don't think it, you know, like yeah. If you're gonna ask me, I don't think it actually all comes
0: together. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't. There's no question. I, I I would urge everyone out there that once this comes, because this is good. This is going to come to something uh, yeah. that you're going to be able to see it. Um, it is worth seeing, even knowing the spoilers, even knowing whatever, because it it it's hard to pin down. I will say this. I think most people that watch this film if they sit down and know what they're getting into mm. will enjoy the experience of watching it right you will then finish it and upon discussing it with people and not the the journey of Terry Gilliam and how it took the thing or whatever because that's the real interesting stuff yeah it will fall apart in your mind yeah. like I, I I even even sort of discussing it here, I'm having a hard time saying things other than just like yeah like. It was fine. <laughs> it, it's it's bu- it's it is a beautiful mess. There are there are moments in it
1: that are extraordinary to watch. Mm-hmm. There are moments in it that are breathtaking to watch, and there are moments that are entirely. If you can, you know, and again, that's the thing which 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 I love, which is that when it became pure fantasy, that it was exhilarating, you know, and it was it was a
0: delight to watch. Um, I will say that there's not a, a film watching experience that you will have seen in a very long time that is the same as this film going experience there's no question like yeah. it it will it will I don't want to say challenge you because that's the wrong word. It will uh, you you will watch this movie a little bit different than I think you watch other yeah. films, or you you'll, you'll internalize it differently, and, and that's good that that exists. Um, is it something I'm going to go back to? I do not think
1: I, so. I, I don't I don't know, and you know, like, but I I love the fact that you know, for example, I, I come back to this phone call I had last night with James. He was like, I just need to talk to someone about this movie, and he wanted to have a conversation about it. And he, At the end of it, he was like, you know, good or bad. I've talked more about this movie than I have most movies, and I'm thinking more about this movie more than I am most movies. And I don't well, think that's good. And I don't think it's 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 you know you, you need in my mind the kinds of films like this that challenge you, and you need you know like there was there but was see I don't think this
0: okay this is sorry I don't want to interrupt yeah, you, I apologize go ahead. but uh, this film didn't challenge me right. like, at all. I think what this did is it got me into a very comfortable place to enjoy a ride. Um, I was not challenged whatsoever by this film. This felt to me like, uh, honestly, I mean, it, it, in terms of the type of enjoyment of sort of letting it go through, mm-hmm. like a mid-tier superhero-y <laughs> thing, where I'm like, this was enjoyable. I liked it. I could pull it apart. Like, but the then... challenge,
1: the challenge that I think I'm I'm mentioning there is like, how can you read the film on its own terms? and i think that's that's what i mean by the challenge of it remember when we did when we reviewed the film tramps earlier last year the director of that film said something along the lines of, is that i want to make a film that one person loves yes you know like yep. that is some that you know maybe 90% of the people don't love this movie but one person out there it's their favorite movie of all time check out our
0: review of tramps
1: yeah and i and i think the challenge of this film is you know it's not trying to play to the to the to the big audience it's 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 weird and it's messy and it doesn't quite make sense and it's like the challenge is how, can you read it on its terms and 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 i i don't uh, like i said before i don't necessarily think that it all entirely works and i like you can pull it apart and, and i and i there are things that i recognize as not fundamentally working but i i i think you know like again coming to james's conversation it's like it's fun to know that Gilliam is still out there pushing a rock up a hill, sailing against the seas, you know, like making things that aren't like other people make.
0: But that is exactly what you did. Like, you are, like, you did literally just say, se- you said you didn't know if you could separate it. You did. Like, and, and you, 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 even from both of our comments, I feel like we've, we've discussed the emotional impact of a filmmaker finally creating a vision in the story of that versus the thing he made. That's, right like we I've I've separated it seems like you've separated
1: yeah it. I mean and and the you know the the, the thing, I, I guess okay so uh, and I and I've said uh, already I don't think the film kind of fundamentally works I don't think it because it doesn't emotionally resonate with what is passionate and true about Quixote you know about about the, the ideas that are in that novel I think it's an interesting update of it's a the, take uh, yeah a take of that novel and I think it's fascinating for that reason um, Gilliam himself like his others you know like uh, the the story of uh, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, oh, uh, yeah. you know, like the fact that Heath Ledger died within uh, while they were in production of that, and then he had to basically reconfigure that entire film, mm-hmm. and then but he still got it up, you know, and made it. Um, the fact that this film has been thirty years in the making, he finally gets it up, and Amazon, who had who had agreed to distribute the film, decides to pull out because of a lawsuit from a previous producer. So he's still fighting the battle to get this film up, and if the basically if the ship is sailing into the harbor, kind of like you know Captain Jack Sparrow which was almost <laughs> falling apart as it comes into it's the just harbor. really He's in the You kind of you know like I I still I just want to celebrate him kind of landing at the harbor and I, and and, I, you I know, think there's two
0: different that's two different things. We can know. absolutely celebrate him coming into the harbor mm-hmm. and stepping off and uh paying three shillings and forgetting the name. Um but uh, we can also say that uh well the boat he rode in on is still at the bottom of the bay. And uh, you know <laughs> but
1: but then the other side of that is that you know maybe he's got this out of a system now and now he can clear the pallet for something that is going to be truly, you know, like it's, I've seen these films, I've seen filmmakers hang on to like films for a long period of time. And then, and eventually when they get to them, the idea has sort of like warped and changed so much in their heads that it's like, sometimes you do need to Mm -hmm. let it go. But sometimes also instead of letting it go, what you need to do is you need to get it out in Just the get world. Go through, push through. Yeah, like Francis Ford Coppola right now is a you know, he he's someone I've kind of like been passionately following as well. And and he's finally making his version of Megalopolis, which is this this yep. big film that he's been trying to make for years. I don't think, having watched, you know, like the last few Francis Ford Coppola films, and I go to see everything he makes. I'm not sure it's gonna
0: like really hang together,
1: but I'm like I, you and know, I, like this guy wants to get this thing out, and I and I love this man, so I'm gonna go see it.
0: And even what was the Scorsese film? Um, the uh, Silence. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's something that was like deeply personal to Scorsese, mm. and like he needed to get it out. And mm. kudos, and I'm glad because I like and respect the rest of his work that he got it out. Mm. I didn't particularly enjoy Silence. Yeah. Um, but that, but again, like that movie wasn't for me. Um, it's also it's also stabbing at an at an idea
1: that is hard, you know. Like that's the thing. It's it's. I mean,
0: a, you can stab for ideas that are hard and hit it.
1: Yeah, but but that's you know, like it's stabbing at an idea that's hard, and not everyone, you know, like it's it's. <sighs>
0: It's, I mean, we even bring great. it back to our Us review, right? Like, we, we were talking about how, like, there's, you know, um, Jordan Peele's taking big swings, yeah. and they don't all connect, but in but in that case, enough of them do. Yeah. Like, it, uh, yeah. we're you know, spitting. We're n- spitting.
1: No, no, no. You know what the, the, this comes back to is the, because I just made a film, or I made a, a little project, which was um this thing, uh, this personal project where I was like, I have no idea if this is going to work. I don't think it is and and you know all my instincts all my natural instincts are telling me not to do this but there's this other side of me that just said you need to take a leap of faith and pray that your instincts can kind of get you through this and the thing that I think I want to come back to with with Terry Gilliam, Francis Ford Coppola, Scorsese, all these people is that we often we're talking about these ideas in retrospect as though they are fixed and and as though they knew exactly what they're doing. And I think what's cool about these kinds of films is that they don't know exactly what they're doing. Well, I don't, I don't you, think
0: that they knew exactly what they were doing.
1: We're talking about big swings and hitting, you know, kind of thing. And I and I and I want to say that filmmaking, you know, like we said this a million times before, filmmaking is hard, and you don't often know what the result is going to be. You kind of have to go through the journey to figure out what the result is okay. going to be. And I and I, you know, like. I think there's space in the world to see what the result could be, you know, and that's and that to me is what sure. silence is, and that to me is what uh, um, the man who killed Don Quixote is, you know, that to me is probably what uh, Francis Ford fil- uh, Coppola's film *Megalopolis* is gonna be. That's what definitely what his film *Tithro* is, you know, like it. It we speak about these things uh, where these filmmakers are just like they're trying
0: things, I yeah. mean, and, I, and yeah. I love that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Don Quixote de la Mancha. Ah, de la Mancha. (laughs) I just like saying it. Bringing back uh, the age of chivalry. (laughs) Chivalry. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's like <laughs> nine different characters who pronounce chivalry wrong on purpose. I think in that movie. Well, I think I I don't know. It who seems, knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was uh, adorable. Uh, Shahir, when you are not fighting your own personal filmmaking windmills, when can when can folks find you? Because it's all throughout the timeline.
1: Uh, you can see me imagining giants uh, in the dis in the in the hot Navarra desert um, on my website www.shahirdaud.com. That That's S H A H I R D A U D dot com. Matt, when you are not being dragged along to beautiful big ugly messes and wondering why the hell am I standing on the sail uh, on this uh, on the ship where can people find you stepping off into the harbor?
0: <laughs> you can find me proclaiming that you have in fact heard of me at m a t t h e w k r o l dot com for my life and works, or Skeletor the number four p r e z on Instagram or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Actually, Skeletor the number four p r e z. I finally, because PlayStation just opened it up, you could have one free name change, and I changed my uh, PlayStation tag because I'd only had like one I made when I was like you know early twenties. What was it, Edgelord Lord number three? It was just Edge Lord four. <laughs> Twenty XX, um, no, but now it's Skeletor, the number four. P.R.E.Z. on there. You still
1: gotta like consolidate all that into MatthewKroll.com.
0: No, you gotta, you gotta. I mean, like, no. What are you doing? <laughs> I love having multiple things. Then people can't find me. Um, and then also, of course, check out all of our good works over at Extra Credits. We just did um, a series on the Siege of Vienna, which is a uh, very pertinent and and interesting tale. Also, we just talked about Google's Stadia uh, on, on the show and how that might uh, change the face of gaming or be abandoned by Google cuz that's kind of what they do with new technology.
1: <laughs> Just want to shout out as well for some reason uh Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping <laughs> yeah! was trending on Twitter this week uh, because someone brought up a clip from a deleted scene. Uh, so go back and check out that
0: film because I as I recall it both in, it ended up on both our top 10 lists that year. It was really good. We have yeah. a review of it. You can check that out. But Popstar I have the Blu-ray. I it's, forgot that I'd had the Blu-ray. And I was like, I got to watch that, that soon. The movie is
1: so good. Yeah. Uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, also
0: give us stars on the mm-hmm. iTunes machine. All of uh, Anyone who ever... Wants to interact with us, but doesn't want to take the time <laughs> yep. to, to write uh, an email. Reviews uh, are much shorter than emails can be, and stars are lovely. Thank you for all the emails this week. It uh, was very nice. Was uh, very nice. Uh, the, uh, the 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 inbox was overflowing, as was our hearts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next week, um, Ooh, I, we will make an announcement
1: as to what next week on week's Twitter. Yeah, uh, uh, on I, Twitter, I, and it's Facebook.
0: funny. Before this conversation, I was like, "Fuck Hellboy," and now I'm like, "Hellboy." I'm kind of. I'm. Hellboy's one of those things where
1: it's like I'm curious to see it just to see what everyone's talking about but I again the idea of like paying money to go into the theater but it's it's a
0: director we like yeah but we don't want to reward bad behavior man but I would
1: why don't we just do The (laughs) Descent let's just review The Descent again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would just be happy to like throw back the descent. You want to review the descent instead? Uh, oh my god! We'll if, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. We, and we still have to institute our uh, re- our request policy in some way. I've got I've got some ideas. We have we have we
0: have machinations. Uh, yep. Anyway, we will talk to you next week. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye.